Welcome to GW's Central Asia Program podcast series. So ladies and gentlemen, good morning, good afternoon. Welcome to this online seminar of the Central Asia Program. My name is Marlene Laurel. I'm the director of the Central Asia Program. It's my great pleasure to receive you uh, today to discuss the situation in uh, uh, Uzbekistan. And so we will be discussing here both the constitutional reform, the tensions that have been created, the situation in uh, um, Karakatan, and with us we have three great uh, uh, experts joining us, and I'm really grateful they could find time for uh, this seminar in the middle of the summer. We have with us uh, Navbaho Imamova, who is the uh, editor and producer of Uzbek Service at uh, Voice of America, Timur Marov, fellow at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace and the OSC Academy in Bishkek, and uh, uh, Akram Umarov, director of the Afghanistan Research Group and associate professor at the University of World Economy and Diplomacy in Tashkent. We should have had with us uh, uh, Yuri uh, Sahukhanian, but unfortunately he had a last minute uh, uh, family issues. So in case he would be joining us, I will be giving him the floor, but I'm afraid he won't be able to do it. But the three of, of you will be a, a great expert to explain us what has been happening uh, recently in Uzbekistan. So I would like first to give the floor to Navbaho to give us your, Navbaho, your first uh, uh, assessment. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. Hello, everyone. It's uh, it's great to be part of this important discussion, Marlene. So thank you for organizing this, for having me here with these brilliant folks, Akram and uh, Timur. I have enormous respect for their work as a reporter and uh, of your work as well. Uh, and it's an honor and pleasure to share my views and insights as, as a journalist, as an observer. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a proud VOA journalist, but I will not be speaking on behalf of my organization here. I am really uh, speaking as someone who's been covering the these issues. And, um, and I would um, just start off by saying that Karkal Pakistan case is the story of today's Uzbekistan through and through. Uh, and I know many in Tashkent won't like the description of this, uh, but uh, what happened in Nuku's early July put this part of the world on the map and uh, it increased the attention to what's happening inside Uzbekistan where reforms were announced in 2017 and, and, and how and to what extent those reforms then have been changing the country. It's a story of economic and social injustice. It's a story uh, of uh, the distrust between the state slash regime and the people. Uh, it's a story of poverty and corruption. Uh, it's a story of political confusions and contradictions. Uh, and, and we've heard that many uh, Karkalpaks, that, uh, from many Karkalpaks, that they're actually more angry at their local leaders than um, those in Tashkent. So that is itself a bigger story here that we also need to focus. The Karkalpak part of the Uzbek constitution is not changing, we know that much. But the arguments about it, the disagreement on the status of Karkal Pakistan, the constitutional guarantee uh, to the Karkal Pak people will continue to be debated inside and outside uh, the country. And the government will have to address these issues. So just by, by canceling the changes to the constitution, I will argue will not be enough at all. Is Karkal Pakistan really an autonomy? Uh, can you have a sovereign state within a sovereign state? 
can actually Karkalpaks Karl have the kind of a referendum that the Uzbek constitution guarantees them in reality? Uzbekistan is a highly centralized unitary government where you cannot hold regional referendums. It's legally impossible if you look at the rest of the Uzbek constitution. So how can, um, you know, how can you have a dialogue now that discusses those issues. These are very internal issues. And we realize that the Uzbek government doesn't want to discuss all these issues on international arenas, perhaps, but I would argue you, that you have to still address them. You cannot ignore these realities. And, uh, and then, you know, you have this group called Karkalpak activists. Tashkent can call them separatists or, you know, all they want, but they exist. And they have a louder voice now. There is more interest in their plight now. They'll continue to fight what they believe in. And this is something that the Uzbek government cannot ignore. And because these calls are about Uzbekistan's territorial integrity, it's about its uh, sovereignty and stability, the, the, one of the biggest challenges I see for the government in the near future is to come up with a strategy that addresses uh, these issues and that also addresses and deals with this critical Karkalpak public now inside and outside Uzbekistan. So what does the Mirziyoyev administration, uh, you know, think about the 1990 declaration on the uh, sovereignty of Karkalpakistan? How about the 1993 agreement uh, that was made with the Karkalpak people that was supposed to be reviewed in 20 years that, you know, the system forgot? Tashkent needs to explain its position. So far, what I have heard from some uh, lawmakers and policymakers, as well as lawyers from Tashkent, is that the Uzbek constitution is the best answer. That is Tashkent's position. Whatever the Uzbek constitution, the main law of the country says, that's the answer. But I think you need to go deeper. You need to elaborate. You need to start that conversation because Karkalpaks have questions. They have demands. And, uh, you know, Tashkent may call them destructive uh, forces in general. And so far, that's what we have heard uh, from, uh, from the government. They can sideline them. But will that then ensure Uzbekistan's stability? What happens to the critical voices when you don't engage them? Uh, or will Karkalpak activists become what we see uh, the so-called Uzbek opposition as? Tashkent calls them irrelevant. Do you want to have irrelevant group of people who have a huge impact on the minds of their fellow Karkalpaks back at home? If they're calling, let's say, these uh, you know foreign-based Karkalpaks destructive forces. So again, you know, the government needs to really think there. Uh, cutting people off from the world by cutting them off the internet. Is that something that Uzbekistan wants to be uh, doing? You know, it, what does that say about your reforms? What does that say about your promotion of new Uzbekistan? How are you going to convince the world that you're open for business when you can really completely shut uh, a huge part of the country uh, from online uh, communication? Everyone I talk to in the Mirziyoyev administration now tells me that President Mirziyoyev has strictly instructed everybody to respect human rights and to do everything that they can so that Uzbekistan meets its international obligations. That means that the nuclear investigation has to be uh, as credible, as independent, as impartial as possible. So now we have this uh, commission, um, investigating uh, what's happened, you know, what happened to Nukus right there in, in Karkal, Pakistan at this uh, point. Uh, and the commission is led by the Uzbek Ombudsman Firuze Ishmatova. It is a parliamentary probe. Let's just call it that. 
It is a parliamentary probe. It will report to the parliament. It's being done by the Uzbek people for the Uzbek people. And I hear Uzbek lawmakers, lawmakers who argue that it's okay that it doesn't include any foreign experts. It doesn't have to. It's our investigation. Fine. But what that commission then delivers may not be enough for the international community. It may not be enough at all to meet Uzbekistan's international obligations. So then the next question, will Uzbekistan open for foreign experts? Will they be engaging international groups? And then my question to these international human rights organizations who've been calling on social media so far for you know, deeper, more independent investigation, are you ready to carry that out yourselves? It's one thing to call for such things online and you know, through social media or maybe in your conversations with Uzbek officials, but in reality, it's not easy to carry out such investigations, such probes. So you know, is there enough unity and solidarity within the human rights community to do something like that? And also many Uzbek thinkers have been telling us that Uzbekistan now needs to focus on national identity promotion, national integration, which is also, I think, is very crucial. Uzbekistan needs to start that very uncomfortable conversation about diversity and minority rights and inter-ethnic dynamics, something that we don't have such a dialogue in the country now. Uzbek state media, which is really, you know, which are still dominant, for example, don't carry such content. I mean, forget about news and analytical coverage. The most watched, the most popular Uzbek TV uh, shows uh, are in broken Tashkent dialect. I mean, they, they're, they're not relevant to the rest uh, of the country at all, but people still watch them. That is the, the, the projection of diversity in Uzbekistan right now. And so how will that change? Also, uh, a very important uh, part of the conversation should also be Karkalpak intellectuals, professionals, artists, talents who have been mainly silent throughout this progress, uh, process. I've been you know, talking to some of them. They're very afraid to talk. And, you know, in, 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 ironically, they're the active, some of them are very active promoters of the new Uzbekistan. They've been doing the state propaganda, but now they cannot express their own views. They cannot share their own analysis about the motherland. Will that change in the coming days? And it should, you should bring them into uh, you know, that conversation. And um, finally, I think it's crystal clear by now that this was a major historic miscalculation by the leadership. Uh, the promotion of constitutional reforms pushed personally by President Mirziyoyev, and there was nothing wrong with it when he uh, proposed to do this, you know, after his re-election in November uh, 2021. Well, he got re-elected in, uh, in October, but in his speech, I mean, in November. Uh, those reforms have, have been coined as the will of the Uzbek people, and that backfired in Karkalpakistan. That was, that was, you know, another really, I would argue, major failure. You should have called them what they are. President Mirziyoyev is proposing these constitutional reforms. Do we want them? Instead, it was promoted as the will of the Uzbek people. And it backfired in Karakalpakstan in, let's say, in the most poorest, remote, and least uh, probably known part of Uzbekistan. There is this internal political turmoil here, which I believe President Mirziyoyev is dealing with. I hear that he's cleaning house, that there will be more you know, changes in the, in the administration. Let's see, this is a major test. With the, will these constitutional reforms continue as if everything is okay, or will there be a rethinking, uh, re-strategizing? Will there be deeper analysis? You know, thousands of people came out protesting in a country where a lot of us have argued all along that something like this would never happen.
you know, and and Tashkent should not be surprised. They should know that they should know what was happening in in you know in in Karakal, Pakistan. And if this is not a clear indication that the current strategy needs to be reviewed, I would argue. What else? Like, what else do you need for for Uzbekistan to happen for you to review this this uh, you know current let's say push for constitutional reforms? I'll end here and look forward to hearing from my co-panelists. Thank you. Thank you so much, Navbaho, for launching the, the discussion <laughs> like that on so many critical issues. I saw that uh, we are lucky Yuri uh, could join us. Um, so let me introduce him, uh, Yuri Saruhanian, who is an uh, international relations specialist, but also the author of the analytical telegram channel, Syria Penalty. Yuri, thank you so much for joining us in, in a difficult condition for you today. I wanted to give you the floor immediately in case you wouldn't, wouldn't be able to stay with us for the whole duration of the event, and then we will go back to uh, uh, Timo and Akram. Yuri. Uh, good evening. Uh, no, I may I will be able to stay with you the whole event, so we can stick with the agenda. <laughs> okay, very good. So then maybe Timur, would you like to go second? Thank you very much um, for having me. It's it's a huge honor um, to be here alongside with um, Nawahar, Yuri, Akram, and, and you, Marlene. Um, Yes, uh, first of all, I want to um, also add to what uh, Nabahor has already uh, said as someone who is considered to be um, national minor ethnic minority in Uzbekistan. Uh, I'm, I'm from Samarkand, um, ethnically Tajik. Um, I, I also, you know, feel what is it um, like to be, um, um, you know, someone whose um, language um, is not um, you know, um, official language uh, as someone who's uh, watching TV and cannot uh, watch TV in Tajik, as someone who uh, walks on the streets and cannot see signs in Tajik and thinks that Tajik is only the language that uh, you can speak um, at home. Um, this feels, um, you know, strange. Uh, and and um, I think um, in this regard, uh, there should be done some changes um, in the policies of um, Uzbekistan. But I wanted to uh, scale out a little bit and to uh, look at uh, why this miscalculation has been made uh, by the uh, political regime. Um, and in my view, um, I think the uh, number one and maybe uh, most important uh, problem uh, that we see here is that uh, the political leadership underestimated the results of the um, reform. It, it, it started um, itself um, when uh, Shavkat Mirziyoyev came to power. Uh, because if we compare how society lived um, uh, during the last years of Islam Karimov and how uh, society lives today, uh, we will see that these are two almost different societies. Um, the, um, you know, the middle age um, in Uzbekistan is 29 years old. So uh, we can say that the biggest chunk of the population of Uzbekistan um, does not really um, remember um, the times uh, that were, uh, you know, before 
um, uh, last six, five years. Um, for, for them, uh, their most active uh, part of their lives are happening in this very dynamic Uzbekistan that is very open uh, to the world and claims uh, to be, uh, you know, really democratic um, as never before. Um, and, and, and they live in completely different uh, country. They use um, internet daily. There are more than 18 million um, internet users in Uzbekistan. They, uh, if they don't like something, uh, they go to protests. Um, if we look at the OXA Society database, we'll see that from 2018 to 2021, 20, uh, there were more than uh, 200 protests across Uzbekistan. Um, if they don't like something, they go to Facebook um, and, and write directly, um, you know, to, to the uh, um, uh, government agencies and uh, tag everyone that can be tagged, uh, go to media and talk about their problems. Um, they know different um, Uzbekistan. And uh, what I think is that um, the, the leadership doesn't understand um, that while you live in this situation with this society, you cannot act um, like classic authoritarian um, uh, country during Islam Karimov. And, and what uh, the constitutional reforms and, and the changes in the constitution are all about is, is, is um, you know, it, it's all done with the old instruments. Uh, the government wants people to believe that it is them who wants the constitutional uh, reforms. It is them who wants uh, to uh, give uh, the president more power um, according to, you know, uh, the project of the constitution that has been published um, uh, before the uh, Karkalpak events. Um, and this is completely wrong because um, it feels like the government um, is um, kind of leaves in an illusion um, and doesn't really understand its own society, doesn't really understand uh, what are the problems that um, uh, people um, on the ground face. Um, and uh, because of that, the decisions that are made um, in Tashkent are uh, sometimes really wrong. Um, and what is more important um, is that I, I do believe that um, Uzbekistan um, saw what was happening all across um, Eurasia, all across uh, post-Soviet space. Um, we saw uh, what was happening, for example, in January 2022 in Kazakhstan, um, and that, um, at that moment, shocked everyone, and especially shocked everyone in Uzbekistan. Uh, we remember how, uh, you know, President Mirziyoyev even uh, stopped his uh, uh, January vacation uh, for that, and, and uh, there were uh, measures taking, uh, taken in Uzbekistan um, uh, for, you know, uh, coping with some potential um, uh, protests uh, crossing, you know, the border um, of Kazakhstan to Uzbekistan. But um, uh, what strikes me the most is that uh, the uh, leadership uh, looks um, so closely uh, for the events outside of the uh, country, but does not uh, really um, um, you know, investigates and analyzes what's going on inside. Um, I don't. I don't believe that uh, there is some um, you know secret agency in, inside Uzbek uh, government that knows 
what's going on everywhere in Uzbekistan. Um, and since I don't see any public discussions uh, about the political uh, developments, about the problems um, on the ground, I do believe that there is no real um, good analysis that um, is out there um, inside um, Uzbekistan um, that um, you know, um, can be used in the decision-making process. Um, and the uh, problem where we don't have it is that the government does not allow it to happen. Uh, when, uh, for example, my friend Yuri, who is also here, uh, published great piece, um, analytical piece on Gazeta Ru about uh, Karakalpak events, um, we saw that this uh, article was deleted for a couple of hours. Um, these um, instruments does not work um, in modern Uzbekistan. Um, and um, at this moment, it's already too late to you know, go back uh, to say that, oh my God, we, we are too far with these reforms. We have to uh, go back to those um, calm years where we could do whatever we want with the society and the society will take it. Now it's different. And, and now um, if the government wants to continue to be stable, um, I think um, there should be done more work on um, you know, developing the uh, politology, developing the um, um, uh, you know, um, expert uh, community, giving more uh, money to universities um, um, and, and trying to understand your own society, your own problems, um, and to uh, focus on that uh, much more than um, it is, uh, you know, uh, happening right now. I'll stop here and we'll be happy to answer any questions if you have. Thank you so much, Timo, for your uh, uh, remarks. I now would like to give the floor to Akram to continue our discussion. Yeah, thank you very much for this for the invitation and I'm very happy to be part of this excellent uh, panel of speakers. I think um, while analyzing this uh, uh, situation in in, in, in Karakalpakstan, we should focus on, on several issues. I think, uh, first of all, the roots of this crisis. Obviously, they, they didn't appear suddenly. There were deep causes of the problem, and they uh, gradually formed, constructed for decades. I don't think that this is something which happened in a couple of weeks or even a couple of months or years. I think the situation in Karakal, Pakistan, as many people know, the social economic situation is, is, is not the best one, even in, in, in comparatively to other regions of Uzbekistan. Because of this RLC crisis and the following social economic degradation, people were suffering for many years because of the social economic problems. And actually many people left the country. Yeah, they left either to other provinces of Uzbekistan or left the country as migrants or relocants to other parts of the world. And also the, because of this ecological crisis and lack of resources, also people had much worse living conditions comparative to other parts of Uzbekistan. I think when there was a change of leadership in 2016, there was understanding how situation is bad in Karakalpakstan. I think that's why the first visit after this first term, uh, first election of uh, Mirziyoyev, he did his first internal visit to Karakalpakstan. And, and uh, he, there he declared about the strategy to invest in Karakalpakstan to, and to try to modernize it. And um, then there were some, it, attempts to modernize. There were capital investments, I think, in five years 
2016, 2012, 21, there were investments equal to 1 billion US dollars. So capital investments in the infrastructure of Karakal Pakistan in creating new factors and et cetera. So you know this Muinak, the whole, the big town, which uh, which was quite populated during the Soviet time, but then due to the RLC issue, many, many people left its town. It didn't have a proper water supply. Yeah, there was no proper water supply. Um, and the water supply was provided just in 2000, um, end of 2017, I think. And recently they, they built in a small airport in this uh, town. I think there is understanding about the problems of Karakal Pakistan. And there was an attempt to improve the situation. You know, there, there, there is a very um, traditional stuff in Uzbekistan. The, the president uh, gathered all Hokims and made them responsible for the Hokims of other Vilayas uh, of Uzbekistan, province of Uzbekistan. They were responsible for each district of Karakal Pakistan. So to help these districts to improve their uh, infrastructure and make some renovation. And it's also established region-to-region context. But the problem with this, I'm, I'm going to my second point. Yeah, there were attempts to improve the situation and to, um, to respond to the increasing challenges uh, and, and this direction. But the problem with all these things, with all this investment, there is no proper monitoring and evaluation. There is no proper assessment. To what extent these investments were efficient, and to what extent, what kind of what kind of other steps we could do in the situation? And I fully agree with Timur about lack of independent expertise and analysis. I think this was the biggest challenge for all these uh, reforms, and not just Karakal Pakistan, but for all other areas as well. So we need why they why there were no pre um, prediction about social moods of people. There were no sociological surveys. There were no uh, analysis of internal politics. Yeah. There are some small branches in public think tanks who deal with internal politics, but the current situation again demonstrate that either they do not have necessary capacity or, or I don't know what are the reasons why this they couldn't predict. Because obviously after the, the um, announcement of these changes, Karakal Park social media were kind of burning. Yeah? So many people expressed their, uh, that they do not support these changes and they would like to keep the current version. And this, uh, this didn't find a proper uh, response uh, from, from central government. I think there was an obvious a lack of, lack of uh, communication. And, and uh, the, the, they, this leads to the issue of, again, the uh, capacity of political institutions. When I, I wrote a small piece about Kazakhstan in January, I said this was the biggest challenge to the regional, uh, to the Central Asian region and, and, and it's 30 years history. But now we can see there is a kind of, this kind of internal unrest is happening and in, in, in that happened in Kazakhstan and in Kazakhstan and in Tajikistan and Uzbekistan. Or in general, of course, there are different reasons and different um, roots of these problems. But in general, it showed that we are still in the process of building our political institutions. We still need to do more on, on, on providing more transparency, more accountability, and, uh, to, and also to have this independent expertise and analysis. And all these things could be easily prevented if there were proper understanding of the problem. And also um, 
uh, analyzing internal politics. Uh, they all, they were also issue of appointing proper uh, merit-based people in Karakalpa government uh, and other structures which deal with this with this part of of the country. Because on what happened in in uh, and the next my point is the main thing which I think we, we should try uh, to do in the current situation to prevent any kind of as to to move this problem to the ethnic problem, uh, inter-ethnic problem, then the Uzbek Karakalpa kind of some um, issues. I, I, on a, on a, on a local on a bottom level on the people to people level, I don't see any problems on on relation with Karakalpa. We I have many colleagues in my university. I have many friends in Tashkent and other and other province of Uzbekistan who are Karakal ethnically Karakalpa, and we we are friends. We have no problems on on this level. I think that the main thing now I could see in many social media that the attempts to to push this uh, problem to the point of having a kind of interesting to give it interesting damage. I think this is very very um, a big, big threat for our security. And I think and actually this this is not this is not true. Yeah. And the, again, the problem is um, this uh, proper assessment. And finally, about international reaction, I think. We could see that, that, that this um, regional cooperation is developing because on these days you could see that there were back-to-back -back phone calls with all regional uh, of uh, Mr. Merger with all the regional leaders, and um, they had discussed the problem, the issue, and they all expressed uh, support to Uzbekistan. Also, other countries, even the statements which had kind of criticism of Uzbekistan from. Um, and the statements of State Department and EU, they were quite moderate. I think no one is actually interested now in any kind of destabilization in Central Asia, especially Uzbekistan, when it's, it's at least show, as, as Timur also mentioned, it's showing some kind of intention to modernize itself. And there are, of course, there are still many, many problems on this uh, path, but still uh, at the same time, there is this attempt, there is a will to modernize, to change the system, to build something more efficient and effective. I think in this situation, the easiest way to respond to the crisis would be to emphasize national security, regime security, and to, to repeat the same mistakes which Uzbekistan made uh, during uh, its previous uh, challenges to its security. But I think Uzbekistan is, is more now conscious about its reputation is more conscious about establishing some communication with people. And that's why we could see some try, uh, attempts to respond to all this uh, criticism and to establish this commission. Maybe it's not ideal, but still we have uh, this kind of commission with several independent members. And I think we should a little bit wait the, the initial kind of assessment of this commission before making any kind of uh, conclusions. Thank you. Thank you so much, Akram, for your uh, really important remarks. I will give the floor now to Yuri, and then we will, after Yuri, open the floor for the Q&A discussion. And I will uh, take moderate the, the discussion. As you can see, the chat is very uh, lively, and a lot of discussion is going, are going on also in parallel. Yuri, the floor is yours. Good evening, colleagues. Uh, thank you very much for, this, for the invitation and for the chance to participate in this discussion. Uh, talking about <clears throat> Karakalpa crisis, uh, my, uh, my, I think that uh, we should, first of all, 
shift from the discussion of uh, separatism and uh, uh, territorial integrity issues. Second is that we should abandon uh, inter-ethnic uh, uh, tensions uh, and uh, uh, we should uh, try to stop uh, both uh, activists, bloggers, etc from both sides, both from Uzbek side uh, locally who tried to demonstrate Karakalpaks as separatists with a longer uh, term ambitions to, um, to quit, to leave Uzbekistan. And uh, both in Karakalpakstan who try, uh, the, the activists who try to demonstrate Uzbeks uh, and the Uzbek population as uh, uh, the one who who is oppressive and uh, who organizes genocide, etc. Uh, for me, Karakalpak crisis is an absolute uh, um, case of uh, is an absolute case of dispute decision making process that Uzbekistan suffers for uh, many years already. First of all, and second is uh, the poor communications practices of the government. Uh, that is also an issue for. Uh, for many years. Uh, why the first one? So decision-making process in Uzbekistan, uh, if we talk even about Karakalpak crisis, nobody uh, explained uh, to us what was the reason of uh, such amendments to the constitution. So uh, if they tried to, to, to do this, uh, they should be justified, but we don't have this justification. We can just uh, think, yeah, we, we understand that we are living in a post-Soviet uh, uh, country and the legitimacy of post-Soviet states is now questioned by Kremlin regime and Kremlin regime uses uh, such uh, territories, such cases as Karakalpakstan, Donbass, etc. to uh, Abkhazia, South Ossetia to, to, to push the states. So that might be uh, a logic of the government to prevent uh, someone from interfering to this. But again, we didn't, we never heard from them uh, what was the, the main idea. So for 30 years, uh, Karakalpakstan never suffered any separatist uh, intentions. Uh, if there were no tensions uh, and ambitions to, to leave Uzbekistan. Uh, and now after this, uh, uh, after these amendments were announced, uh, uh, Karakalpak uh, agenda shifted towards, uh, we wanna quit, uh, so the decision was the decision making pro process was uh, poorly implemented. And the second one is communications. Uh, the communications with the society about the decisions uh, made. Here in Uzbekistan, uh, the government made a huge progress in uh, uh, information policy, in informing the people about their actions, like the done actions, uh, and in promoting them. But the government is never uh, engaged, in, never really engaged in communicating. Because when you, you, when you are communicating uh, your decision, it means that you are trying sort of to sell to the society your agenda, to demonstrate both positive uh, aspects, negative aspects of the decision, and just to try to, uh, to persuade people that the decision is uh, right. But uh, what we have seen with Karakalpak uh, amendments, they were never explained. 
they were never truly communicated to Karakalpak society because uh, you never uh, do, uh, you never announce such amendments to a territory with a, uh, to an ethnic territory in uh, your country uh, that you just abolish uh, some sort of a status without, uh, pre without preliminary discussions with these uh, people, without attracting uh, uh, opinion leaders of this ethnos and etc. And uh, the next, uh, so I, I, I would like to specify that uh, uh, we had already such uh, mini crisis uh, caused by this poor decision making pro process. It's not, of course, comparable to Karakalpak one, but uh, I remember a few years ago. Um, I don't know if it was 2017 or 2018, when Samarkand hosted sort of a media event, uh, there was uh, a task to, 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 to put an order to, this, to the streets and uh, to deal with stray animals. And they just were killed, both stray animals and domestic animals. Then we had uh, a program on renovation of infrastructure in the cities. And so people were just forced to leave their uh, apartments uh, to leave their houses uh, without compensation, etc. Uh, again, it was poorly implemented. It was poorly communicated. Karakalpak crisis is the most, uh, uh, let's say, uh, tragic and the most, uh, the most, uh, well, attractive to the media, just because we have an ethnic minority there. And uh, I mean, it's the same logic of making mistakes in the decision-making process. Because when the uh, amendments were announced, Karakalpak society was not uh, really uh, eager to launch these uh, ambitions to quit. They were just, there was a misunderstanding. They just didn't get what, what's it, what is it about. And the government was silent. They thought, I think, that uh, if they stay silent, uh, it will just be dealt itself. But uh, the more they were silent, the more that the more tensions grew and it resulted with the events of the first uh, july and as you can see the second july president came to nukus to uh, abolish this amendment so i mean if the government uh, did the same thing on monday not on saturday we did we could never have these uh, tragic events so again poor implementation of uh, the the decisions and uh, poor com communication of their decisions and uh, the last uh, but not least what I would like to uh, to mention is that uh, we should <clears throat> the government should shift uh, from one-sided communications with the society to uh, two-sided communications so the government should be more uh, attentive to the feedbacks it, it has on different ambitions that it declares and try to understand what people want but uh, uh, in post-Soviet area, sometimes when the government go to compromise, um, try to find uh, a solution with the society, it is perceived as the weakness because we live in such a, in the post-Soviet area, uh, the heritage of Soviet area where you have a hard power as the main indicator of force. The soft power is always uh, appreciate, not, is not appreciated. And uh, here, the same thing. The government should uh, start, um, should quit this logic. If uh, it tries to understand people and uh, receive the feedback and uh, 
uh, improve the program, different program initiatives, etc. upon these feedbacks, it's not the weakness. Uh, on the contrary, it means that the government tries to build these uh, lines with the, with the people and uh, to build a network that can uh, function and that can always indicate that something is going wrong. Because uh, we don't know how the decision was made, but we definitely know that when the decision on the amendments concerning Karakul Pakistan was made, nobody in the government told, like, guys, it will not end well. We should not do this. Or they told it, but they were not really influential to, to, to influence this decision. Uh, and in this case, you need the society. You need always uh, this uh, uh, top-down and bottom-up uh, communications in order to improve uh, the program, in order to not to make silly mistakes uh, that cause then some uh, tragic, really tragic events. Uh, I will stop this. Uh, I will stop here. And uh, I think we can move to the Q&A. Thank you so much, Yuri, for, for your question. Uh, listening to you, I was, to you all, and looking at the discussion in the chat, I was uh, uh, thinking about the events we had in uh, um, January about the, the Kazakh events. And I can feel the same kind of, of course, a gap between what is the analytical perspective and the fact that many people in the chat are really focusing on what is happening on the ground in terms of police violence, detention, you know, uh, the way it will be um, investigated and so on. And I think that's just totally typical for any kind of authoritarian regime uh, uh, repressing a population. So it just makes me kind of putting Kazakhstan in parallel. What I also see in your, in your the, the four of your presentation is so several small points before uh, uh, taking some question is that we see a wake up from a lot of societies in the post-Soviet region, right? We had Kazakhstan, we had Belarus, right? I even don't speak about Ukraine and Russia, right? And then we see like, and I think it's, it's Timur who is saying that like, it's a new generation, right? It's not, it's new people who have been used to live in a relatively compared to some Soviet time period, more free in society and who are waiting from the regimes to deliver more. And I think that is that also. So there is a general kind of context. Then you have systemic political issues that all of you were mentioning, right? The point is not only Karakal Pakistan. The point is just how the Uzbek regime is treating its own Uzbek citizen as a wall. And here also, here, as you were saying, we have a lot of issues about like reversing the top-down mechanism and finding way to engage with society and to be more on a listening mood than on an ordering mood. Then we have systemic social economic issues. And I think it's really important for us to remember, I mean, what is Karakal Pakistan, right? In terms of social economic dynamic, it's just one of the worst region of the country. And it has been like that since always, right? So, so it's really a, a, a region in suffering socioeconomically, and then only then arrive, I think, the kind of the ethnic cultural aspect that makes things worse, of course, received by that uh, uh, minority. Thank you so much. That's a great way to conclude, I think, our discussion. I wanted to thank all of you for your great uh, uh, insight and thanks our participants who were some uh, uh, very lively and just to remind that it's always better in an academic context to be collegial and cordial in the chat discussion and to avoid ad hominem accusation because they are not helping 
uh, the course. So as I said, thank you once again for your great insight. It was indeed, a, a, it's a very sensitive uh, topic and we all understand how the situation is, is stands on the ground for all the, the, the citizens of Uzbekistan and especially the Karakalpaks uh, uh, right now. And we hope to reconvene sometime in August for us on the Karakalpak centered uh, um, uh, discussion and trying to give the floor to people from the region about what is going on, but also more broadly about the situation culturally and social economically of uh, uh, the Karakalpak uh, region. Thank you so much once again and hope to see you very soon in one of our other events. Thank you all. Thank you.